I watched any good films or TV series recently? Rob? I did watch House of Gucci again. All right. <laughs> which I really enjoyed, actually, even second time round. I think Jared Leto, who was slammed <laughs> for his performance as this over top Italian. When I watched it the second time, I actually thought, well, you know what? Although, yeah, it is Jared Leto screaming out, oh, look at me, crying out for an Oscar. It would have been far less entertaining, I think, if he wasn't in it. So I saw that. And then I also watched Seven, which I thought was kind of interesting given the film we're reviewing. Yeah. Because it's been said that Batman did have a bit of Seven going on. Oh, definitely had a bit of Seven in that. But apart from that, no, I haven't really watched anything particularly Mm. new on telly, apart from, oh no, here I I go again. I have started to watch the new Peaky Blinders series because I was a big Peaky Blinders fan and obviously the new episodes just come out. So I did watch the first episode of what will be the last series, although it's going to be a movie as well. That's about it for me. Okay, I watched King Richard because I hadn't seen it yet. I know you've seen it. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Will Smith plays Venus and Serena Williams' dad, Richard. And before they were born, I can't believe this, that he was actually plotting for them to become champions later in life. And they certainly did. But it would have been interesting if they had a boy. Would they have become a male champion in later life? You just don't know, do you? But this film certainly deals with poverty, crime, racial discrimination along their journey. And it's this great film to watch. And I know that you like tennis. I love tennis as well. And I think it resonated with me. I, I really really enjoyed it actually yeah and i think it's one of those films because will smith's in it and it has such a good message that i think even if you're not huge tennis fans there's something in it for anyone really i hope it does really well the oscars and it's always good to see will smith in something where he's not that larger than life cracking jokes blockbuster type film he's a bit more like his role in pursuit of happiness or that's right i think so another great film so I, i like seeing him in stuff like this be great if he wins, but he's got some tough competition. He's got some seriously um, tough competition. Yeah, yeah. I also watched Escape Room, the a Tournament of Champions, the second Escape Room. And it's pretty similar to the last one as well. And it's an hour and a half long. And you still get that air of excitement. Are they going to get out of each room? Who's going to die next? That kind of scenario, a bit like a screen movie, I guess. But that was fairly enjoyable. And then I've been binge watching One of Us is Lying. You can tell I like those teenagery kind of films and TV series, because this is definitely one of them as well. It's a crime thriller teenage thing in, in America where five kids are sent to detention at school. And then one of them is killed by an allergic reaction after drinking a cup of water and later they find out that this kid's got a peanut allergy and one of them is in the room is lying has committed the crime and it goes through a series of eight episodes trying to work out who it is i quite enjoyed it i think it's good that's, I've, yeah, I've seen yeah some, that's I've, on netflix I, I almost kind of saw it as introducing teens to just the classic whodunit but in a really yeah. modern yeah you so know. you've watched it as well. I didn't realise you watched I it. I have well. actually watched some of that myself, yeah. <laughs> um, as soon as you said that, I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. I have watched some of that as well. Cool. So some cracking films this week, haven't we? Very We've got good. E.T. Yeah. and The Batman that's out at cinemas at the moment. Should, what should we start with? Should we start with E.T.? That was your film from last week, so you want to tear it off? I will. I mean, as if we really need to explain too much <laughs> about E.T., but... 
there's lots of interesting stuff about this film that I learned watching it the second time round. And if ever that you needed more appreciation for Steven Spielberg, I've got more appreciation now. So this was 1982. He was actually working on this whilst he was making Raiders of the Lost Ark. He'd done Jaws. He'd done Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So obviously there's a link there. This obviously starts by Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson, stars Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, a very young Drew Barrymore in her first screen role, and Peter mm-hmm. Coyote, and the music by, of course, John Williams. So this tells the story of Elliot, a boy who lives in a suburban Californian town with his older brother Michael and younger sister Gertie, played by Drew Barrymore, and their mum. And one night, spaceship lands in a nearby forest where numerous little mini squidgy alien botanists come out to take plant samples and government vehicles arrive. The ship takes off, leaving one poor little alien stranded, who obviously is E.T. He makes his way out of the forest and finds himself in the outside yard of Elliot's house. Elliot comes out with that famous, famous scene where he throws the baseball into the outhouse and it gets chucked back. So Elliot discovers E.T. At first, he escapes into the forest, and then Elliot lures him back with a trail of sweets, hides him in the house, is forced to introduce him to his brother and sister, but they keep it secret from their mum, and basically become friends with this alien, eventually teaching it how to communicate. They learn that E.T. needs to get home, and so they begin this mission to help him do exactly that, with the help of an umbrella and some 80s electronics, (laughs) including a speak and spell. He constructs this DIY satellite system. And whilst all this is going on, we also learn that Elliot has such empathic connection with E.T. He feels what E.T. feels, his thoughts and feelings. So we get these quite comical scenes as well as quite heartbreaking (laughs) scenes, let's just say, of him at school whilst E.T.'s left alone at home and he gets drunk. And whilst that's going on at home, E.T.'s in a science lesson and he starts to feel drunk. (laughs) So there's some funny stuff. And then as E.T.'s health declines, Elliot's health declines as well. So we get both sides of that. We also learn that E.T. has telekinesis. So he has this power to raise objects into the air. So he does this to explain where his planetary system is. And of course, he does it most famously to help the BMX bikes fly, which of course is one of the many iconic scenes that people remember. So whilst they're trying to figure out how to help E.T. and get him home, we've got the government agents who are shown to us in a very mysterious way at the beginning of the film when they arrive in the spaceship comes down to land they're on the trail and they track et's location down to elliot's house and that's where i'll leave it really everyone probably knows what happens if for some inexplicable reason someone hasn't seen et i won't tell the rest of the story but yeah this is one of the few films in fact it might be the only film that i watched growing up as a child that made me cry and oh my god it pretty much did that again The scenes where E.T. health is declining as Elliot's health is declining, there's a point in the film, oh my goodness me, it was like, there's this various various tear-jerking moments because Mm. there's this incredible bond that builds up between this, this friendly little alien and this boy. Oh my God, it just, yeah. Anyway, I've got so much to say about it, but I'm not going to start right now. What did you think? 
Well, I, I, to be honest, I think Henry Thomas is an excellent actor, even at that age, and so is Drew Barrymore. I know there was a few little, um, she kept forgetting her lines, and I think Spielberg shouted at her once, and the next day she called in sick, and he apologised to her, or sort of gave her hugs the next day, and sent a note home from the director, or something like that, yeah. But I went to see this film in London, I believe my mum took my sister and myself to meet my dad and then we went to watch it. It must have been a Leicester Square or something like that. But one for me, it's probably one of my first memorable cinematic experiences because it was in this huge cinema and I was excited about it because it, I don't think I'd really seen much in the way of films at that point. And it must have been about five or six years old at the time. And this film is a U. This is what I love about Spielberg. He creates a U films. Today you have lots of 12 films or don't really see many PGs even these days. They're 12 or 12A, aren't they, mostly? But what I love about this is that everyone can watch this. It's really a family film. I mean, after the film, I was obsessed with E.T. I had the stationery and it said Be Home. I remember it saying Be Home, not Phone Home or Home home Phone, which is what exactly what E.T. said in the film. But it said Be Home for some reason. I don't know why I remember that on the stationery. But anyway, I remember it being quite a long film at the time. And I have to be honest, I haven't watched the whole film in its entirety since I was probably five or six years old. So for me, it's almost like watching it again but for the first time I've seen snippets of it on telly like at Christmas time for example but I haven't seen it for such a long time my favorite part was when Gertie Drew Barrymore meets CT for the first time and Michael's just met just before and there's this screaming from Gertie and then they're screaming from Michael and they're screaming from ET and they're all just screaming and it's just infectious screaming and it just makes me laugh it's just so funny that piece and then just the expression on all the kids faces is lovely it's brilliantly done and how you know It's a time where kids and teenagers could just ride on their bikes. They're in a fairly new housing estate, I think, and they could just freely ride. This is the 80s. You could do it in those days. I did it as well. I used to cycle all over the place. And now there's more cars. It's less safe. And even Gertie cycled up to the top of this hill on her own to be in the meeting place where they could do the swap between in disguises for E.T. and her. And she's like a four or five-year-old that's just gone off on her own, um, quite far away from home, in fact. It's a different era, to be honest, to today. The actors are all very strong, especially Elliot, as I mentioned, Henry Thomas. He reminds me very much of Ali Sheedy. It's his expressions, the clarity of how he acts, and even Diane Weist as well, It's strangely. Some of his acting skills remind me of them. And Elliot, I would say, or Henry Thomas, actually even looks like Ali Sheedy as well. I had to look him up and say, you know, is that a brother of her or is that his, her son? You know, she was releasing movies in the 80s. So I was thinking brother, but no, no relation whatsoever. I just find it uncanny. If you look at an Ali Sheedy movie and watch her and then look at this film, it's there's a lot of similarities. But anyway, the, the next time I saw Henry Thomas after this film was in Legends of the Fall, 12 years later, he hasn't done a huge amount of great big movies after E.T., but he has been consistently in acting through throughout his whole life there's like gaps of two years maybe so he's consistently been acting throughout this however was his first decent role and then i would say after et the legends of the fall drew barrymore 
Same wasn't in much until Boys on the Side with Mary Louise Parker and Whoopi Goldberg and Batman Forever then as Poison Ivy she became and then Scream Wedding Singer. So she's followed a similar pattern, I would say, to Henry Thomas, you know, uber big as a small child and then waiting until a bit later on when she matured to play bigger and better roles as well. And obviously she's in Charlie's Angels, which everybody remembers her probably more so in this current age. She just comes across very natural when she was four or five to how she is today as well. And she's one of those people that you feel like you can connect with. And she's got that real cheekiness as Gertie, you can see. It's, it's so funny to see her as a small child to how she is today. For Spielberg, there's nuggets and memorabilia in this. And there's some Easter eggs like Star Wars, a nod to George Lucas, obviously. There's even Yoda walking down the road. They're obviously close friends. And I think the idea of Star Wars, you know, is collaboration with Steven Spielberg. And then also there was George Jaws in this is the shark eating the, the fish and nobody's eating the, the shark or whatever. But on the other side, Spielberg's given the nod to Lucas, but Lucas also returned the same as in, in the Senate shot in Phantom of Menace, where there was lots of mini ETs in the Senate, which I hadn't spotted before. I wouldn't have known that until I read IMDb, to be honest. But there were scenes in this that also reminded me of Jurassic Park right at the start when the cars arrived chasing ET. And so there's lots of similarities in, in his films. And obviously John Williams has done a lot performances as well for Oscars winner of best sound best effects visual and best original score by John Williams the film stopped and I just listened to the music at the end because I thought it was amazing music and that is the one that got the best original score Oscar right at the end and when you watch it don't switch it off after the end scene listen to the music and watch the credits come in because it is an amazing score it really is now E.T., some factoids, E.T. performed by a two foot, 10 inch stuntman, apparently. And also they've hired a 12 year old boy that actually was born without legs that could walk on his hands. I had no idea. And for the most of the film, it was shot eye level with Elliot. So there's more connection with him and E.T. as well. I just thought that was really great. And you already mentioned about Melissa Matheson. Unfortunately, she's passed away since, but she was on set with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Her boyfriend was Harrison Ford, of course. And she she was working with Steven Spielberg at the time then as well. So Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981, that's when they started writing it. But she went on to do more. She, she wrote the screenplay for Ponyo, or Ponyo, which we reviewed. And she also did the BFG. But unfortunately, she passed away a year or two after that of cancer. But there were so many great moments in this film. It cost $10.5 million to make and received $792.9 million worldwide gross. That's incredible. That's probably on, on these current days is on a par with Endgame from the Avenger movie. That's probably one of the biggest ones at the moment. So it made a mint, this film. I loved it. It's just got a lot of charm. It's a nice family movie. There's some ups and downs with emotions. I did have a tear to my eyes at the same point as you said. So I'm interested to know what else you've got. I think I saw somewhere it was voted number one best family film ever. These days, so many films, you're right, they're kind of borderline, aren't they? This is just, it's just brilliant. It's, it deals with actually quite serious subjects, but in a way that's accessible to anyone. In so much as we learn very early on that Michael, Elliot and Gertie, they don't have a dad yeah. or... You know, there's reference to the dad. Mum's quite upset, isn't she? And, yeah, and he's, he's gone to Mexico. He doesn't like Mexico. <laughs> that's that's what she right. Says. And I think it's at like... one point, Elliot says, oh, dad wouldn't have done that or whatever. But there mm. was a scene around the dinner table, which kind of sets the scene 
for what this alien creature ends up becoming, you know, almost like this figure in their lives that potentially they've been missing. I was really interested to then hear, and this is apparently a theme that Spielberg uses in many of his films, it's almost a trademark, this idea of an absent father. After Spielberg's parents divorced in 1960, he filled the void in his head with this imaginary alien companion, which, you know, (laughs) he would call his friend and his brother, like the brother he never had and a father he didn't feel he had anymore. And that was apparently where the seed came from for E.T. So I suppose semi-autobiographically in that way. But I just thought the whole thing was kind of flawless, like... I watched this in two chunks, actually. The first half an hour, it was absolutely intriguing. I was just completely engaged. The pacing of it, there's actually, apart from the scenes where all of the children's together around the table at the beginning, like, you know, like the squabbling and all that kind of Mm. stuff, there's plenty of moments where there's no dialogue. The story's just told in that classic Spielberg way of lighting or slight reveals or even the government agents, the way in which they're introduced and the way in which we see them throughout the film until the third act. You don't see them. You don't see all of them. You just see torches or you just see them from the waist down you know we see the keys of the main character they're mysterious figures yes and all that does is create this sense this foreboding kind of you know almost like these evil figures but it's just intriguing it's like who are they and the lighting and the setting of those early scenes with Eddie and E.T. either in the forest or outside the house in the cornfields. I mean, obviously, it's just so classic Spielberg. When I was watching it, I was thinking, yes, you know, this whole return to retro 80s referential cinema that we have been going through in the last mm. five years, which I, and I think probably the best example might be Stranger Things. It's almost like having not long ago watched Stranger Things. You then watch E.T. It's like, right, this is the real McCoy. The word that came to my head was just flawless. I just thought it was flawless. Like, even the way the young characters are depicted, so often you might watch a film, a family film especially, and you might think that wouldn't really happen. They wouldn't really say that. They wouldn't really talk like that. And I mean, I know obviously this film is an alien coming down, but just in terms of how the human characters act it's very realistic there Mm. there are scenes in this where you've got all this medical team around et when i was watching that i thought it all felt very realistic all those i mean they're not characters you just hear them all at work as if like you're watching Mm. an er room type thing and even Mm. that felt very realistic and it was interesting to learn afterwards that they weren't actors he actually got in medical professionals from a nearby hospital because he wanted that he wanted that to feel real and even some of the scenes around the table with the kids squabbling and all that kind of stuff some of that was ad-libbed there's actually some scenes there were two things that really stood out to me whilst I watched it and I think this is really interesting because they stood out at me because they almost felt like they were a little bit out of place and then a You go, just like, you know, we've done, we've learned more about the film. I was interested to find that these two things were out of place. And that was one where Michael's having a go at Elliot and Elliot 
cusses him. I think he's calls him, oh, shut up, penis breath. That's the only line in the film where it's like, whoa, that was ad-libbed. That wasn't in the yeah. script. His mum's reaction is classic because she tells him, oh, don't say that, but she's laughing at the same time. And that was the reason. And the other one was when Drew Barrymore, Gertie, makes the comment about E.T.'s feet. Because I thought that's quite strange. And, and then again, she just made the remark because she was actually remarking on the wife and the puppetry of the feet. So yeah. I just thought it was interesting that the two times that I'm not saying it took me out of the story at all. I just thought it was just fascinating. But yeah, I, I, as I say, I, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I was just totally swept up in it, totally swept mm. up in it. And I just, I just found a new love for the film because I don't think I've seen it either properly since. Uh, yeah. I didn't find it long in particular this time. It, I watched it from start to finish, no, no stopping, and it was it was good. And just actually on the age of Elliot, that's the only thing. There was one thing that he said at the dinner table, which actually also that dinner table environment reminded me of Jaws when they had their family meal and Jaws as well, talking about all oh, the you know sharks that be careful at the beach and kind of scenario. It's obviously that family sitting at the dinner table. That's obviously Spielberg's vision of how family should be. And to be honest, today probably see them sat in front of the telly eating the dinners to be honest but Elliot said lobotomy and I don't think a 10 or 11 year old would know what that means that's the only thing if I, I'm going to test my 10 year old today and ask him what he thinks what that is but then you never know <laughs> what they get exposed to what, what yeah. they might have looked at or see yeah. and a blind eye I also yeah. thought it was really touching that there was so much love for this film when it came out that you talked about it it won four Oscars mainly for you yep. know for kind of visual effects and the score and sound and you just think wow well you know like how did this not win best picture and best director I mean of course mm-hmm. it was the year what that, was out at the time well yeah. it was the year of Gandhi. Ah, Gandhi, right, gotcha. Gandhi took Best Picture and Gandhi took Best Director, Richard Attenborough. Mm, and mm. interestingly, Richard Attenborough apparently later said he felt really bad that Gandhi won because he considered Spielberg a, a friend and he actually thought his film was more deserving. He described E.T. as a quite extraordinary piece of cinema. So I just thought that was kind of quite touching that even the director who won, kind of thought, I think Spielberg should have won. The only thing I also found a bit, a bit strange is the spaceship was not how I envisaged a spaceship, but it's almost like a round spaceship with a little witch's hat on top of it, <laughs> I found. Yeah. It that, was really odd. And apparently that was, and this is an admission, actually, and I have to rectify it because it's a bit of a shocker. I have never seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind that came mm-hmm. before this. A lot of inspiration for E.T. came from that, apparently including the design of the spaceship. They wanted that kind of almost Victorian like Jules Verne type Mm. feel so Mm. that was actually quite deliberate I mean I do know what you mean watching it now in terms of is there anything about it and obviously watch a film now the effects are going to be better but the effects didn't for me I mean of the spaceship effects didn't in any way jar with me but you're right the look of the spaceship you'd rarely see it depicted like that in but film who knows what a sport a spaceship looks like precisely (laughs) and i was actually really impressed that in terms of how badly some films age especially when it's reliant upon a friendly small alien with a long neck and a glowing finger and a glowing heart Mm. and like in actual fact i actually thought that stood up pretty well i never once did i look at et and thought oh god it just looks ridiculous i can't take this seriously 
just looked slimy, didn't he? And then when he was uh, getting unwell, he just looked at a very white, sort of chalky colour. Oh, yeah, don't yeah. don't take me back there. Oh, sorry. What are you going to give it anyway? Ten. Same here. Ten. There you go. I do, I do you know what? I, I after about forty minutes, I thought this has to be a ten. Unless this goes seriously wrong, it's got to be a ten. It's got everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's just it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. And wow. I I reckon there's a lot of teenagers, kids that haven't watched it today. So something to stick on if you've got children or uh, relatives that are younger. I bet you they haven't seen it. I'm going to watch it with the kids. I think I tried to watch it with them quite a long time ago, but it was actually quite sad, almost too sad, I think, for my youngest at that point in time. Mm. So we never actually watched it all. But I think now I'd like to watch it again with them. Cool. Great. Great schools there. So next film, Batman. The Batman. The Batman. Batman. At cinemas right now and released, it was released on the 4th of March. And this time we've got Robert Patterson playing Batman. We've got Zoe Kravitz, who is Catwoman. Colin Farrell, who I is unrecognisable, playing Penguin. Andy Serkis as Albert. Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant James Gordon. And John Turturro as Carmine Falcon. And the Riddler was played by Paul Dano. Excellently played by all Paul Dano, in fact. Possibly the darkest Batman movie I have seen. And we've mentioned already Seven, and I really do think it has some alignment to that. And it's rightly rated 15. I think my kids watch 12s. I think this will scare them a little bit. And it's more crime scene related than I think we've seen before. I don't think I've ever seen Batman go to a crime scene and help with the investigation in that way. I'm not sure. I don't think I have anyway. I don't think they've featured that before in the in the movies, have they? No, they haven't. I thought it was one of the big takeaways from it as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think you also saw more of Batman instead of Bruce Wayne. I think you resonated more with Batman and instead of um, Bruce Wayne. It's a two hour, 55 minute long film. You would think it's, wow, that's really long to watch. But actually, this is the first time I have not been to the toilet in the cinema. I watched the whole thing right through. Yeah, I loved it. I was gripped. And I'm so pleased I also caught it at the cinema because you get really the full effect there as well. So if you do watch it at home, whack up the audio because I think it I've been singing Ava Maria when I was when I was on my way home and it's uh, written and directed by Matt Reeves and the extra writer included Peter Craig and Matt Reeves is known for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War of for the Planet of the Apes as well so think a little bit you know they're fairly dark as well those films Riddler is a serial killer and he's killing key political figures in Gotham Batman is forced to investigate and you see a lot of police corruption in the film. And this corruption is where Bruce Wayne starts to question his family involvement. And in each of these crime scenes, there is a for Batman letter that is sent from the Riddler. And that's why he's involved. I'm not going to really talk too much about it because that is, is simply it, really. I mean, I know you're a huge Christopher Nolan fan. And I also know this film, Robert Patterson was actually did a screen test whilst he was doing tennis for Christopher Nolan. He had to keep it secret from Christopher Nolan during that time. But how does Matt Reeves' version of the Batman compare to Christopher Nolan? Well, it's definitely darker. It's definitely a different aesthetic. 
I think yeah. it has the kind of intellect to a degree. You know, it's a grown-up film in the same way Nolan brought that back after the slightly more camper iterations mm. of Batman that we all grew up yeah. with. Yeah, it's dark, it's dingy. We hear Nirvana on the soundtrack quite early on. I mean, Kurt Cobain was apparently an inspiration for what Patterson and Reeves was going for in terms of Robin Patterson's version of Bruce Wayne. So we, for the first time, we see the black makeup across the eyes that you'd see under the cow that's never been seen in any other Batman. You just see him as Bruce Wayne, but you do see that. He's this lone figure who creeps around at night. And although that's a familiar tale, you know, there's a voiceover with this. It's like a film noir crime film that happens to have Batman in it. I would describe it as Batman P.I., you know, like Magnum P.I. The most striking thing about it, although the aesthetic, you know, it's raining all the time. You've never seen so much rain. It reminded me of Seven. It reminded me of a Blade Runner in so much as you had, you know, the neon signs, everything. Felt like you were squinting through the rain watching all of this play out. And that's that comes across sometimes in the cinematography, particularly in some of the cars chases when it's raining it's very difficult to understand exactly what's happening but it's very effective it makes you feel really hemmed into this world which i guess is very deliberate the most striking thing about how batman is presented to us the very first scene we see him it's typical in so much as there's an altercation between a bunch of thugs somewhere in this particular case i think it's you know it's on the subway somewhere and they're beating up some poor guy and then they hear this sound and they all turn around and you just see this stairwell and you hear these footsteps and they all just stop and watch to see where the sound's coming from and so the camera's just looking at this dark space and you know that it's Batman and he just walks, (laughs) he just walks Mm. out Mm. in this leather getup. That's the other thing, this whole film is very lo-fi. His outfit is all this tight leather his car is this souped up old style. Mustang, isn't it? Yeah, yeah something like that. Muscle car, Mustang type thing. Yeah, he and he just walks up to these guys, almost like something at a RoboCop. He just, just walks up and it's almost like, right, come on then. And I quite mm. like that. And mm. I like the fact that like you say he just walks into crime scenes. He's literally there thumbing through evidence. He's just walking around places. Obviously, you get all the incredible set pieces that you'd expect but mm-hmm. like you say it's a very very deliberate ploy that he's there actually primarily trying to solve this murder and i really like that i think along with the aesthetic of the film in general which i thought gives it its own universe to a degree the way gotham looks is amazing apparently it's all filmed in liverpool and glasgow and i thought the characters were all brilliant well done the runtime i personally I was engaged all the way, but I did think perhaps it was maybe 15, 20 minutes longer than it needed to be. Don't think that had a real massive impact about how I really felt about it. I think you inevitably come away and it's almost like the acid test. Well, although it's a different type of film, because it is, where would you rate it? Is Mm. it up there with Nolan's trilogy? And I would say, well, Nolan's Mm. trilogy is a different type of of cinema than this and I do think Nolan's is better but I would say for me this is a really really great film that is grown up gives it just enough of a different spin to make it feel like Mm. it is living in its own space I'm opposite 
I think this is better than Nolan's. I prefer this because I think Nolan's one, it was more of a blockbuster, whereas this one felt a bit more natural. Like even got to the extent where he got arrested and then Gordon let him go, said, punch me, and then you run off, here's the key. He was chased through the police station by loads of police, which I thought was it was a great scene as well. And then he, he runs out onto the ledge of the police station and he's like, whoa, you wouldn't get that with a normal Batman film where it's that fear of like, oh, well, right, okay, I'm too high, I need to do something. And he doesn't just flip out these wings. He has this suit like you would see base jumpers using. And it just felt it was more realistic, more natural tech than you would get with some of Nolan's stuff where you had the Tumblr. You know, you've got a Ford Mustang in this and Tumblr is like an amazing design innovation for a car. So it's very, very different. So I prefer the more natural and I thought Paul Dano's role was, was excellently played. I know that the director based it on the Zodiac as well. And I've seen the Zodiac film and it's pretty creepy stuff. And that was played by Jake Gillinghall in the movie. And yeah, pretty creepy. And that's exactly what Paul Dano pulled off as well. And even the Godfather-esque Penguin and Falcon as well. And I just thought a bit more realistic, even though you're in this made up world in, in Gotham City. I totally agree with you. I liked that it played to the rules of its own mm. universe in so much as when you see him, yeah, jump off that building, it's like all of the, the gadgets have been stripped back. And when he does jump off, when he lands, he really mm. he really does land. So I liked all that. I, I thought that was what gave it a really fresh take. I suppose my question would be, Nolan's trilogy was a very complete trilogy. And I would just be curious to see whether they are able to maintain the freshness of this for subsequent films that are going to be obviously taking place within that same aesthetic. So the jury's out as to where this is going to go. But that's why I do say I I think it's right up there with Nolan's stuff. Uh, But I think it's just a different aesthetic. I don't actually think it's kind of quite right to put them side by side because just as you said, Nolan's is a grown-up blockbuster film. So it just is different. And and I I think that's the exciting thing about this is, oh my God, we've got something which is right up there with the quality and the grown-upness of what Nolan was trying to do. But it's been put in this different aesthetic that works and I thought Patterson was very good in it as well so I'm wondering whether it's because of Lucius Fox wasn't in this that it didn't have all the tech and everything because he wasn't in this it was Batman or the Batman making his own tech and everything so I'm wondering if they will introduce Lucius Fox later on and Rachel Dawes wasn't even in this film either so who's going to be the the love interest going forward or Catwoman come back and I thought Zoe Kravitz thank goodness she's now playing more leading roles because she is fantastic perfect role for her and she's five foot two and Patterson is six foot one or two or whatever there's such a big height difference between the two of them it's funny but she can kick some butt let's just say that she's very flexible and she played it really really well and I think both Patterson and Kravitz had some conversations with Michelle Pfeiffer and and also might have been Christian Bale they were told to make sure their suits they could go to the toilet in (laughs) that was advice that they gave because obviously they struggle with that when they perform those roles I was going to say it's the usual thing with these types of films. The ending is the ending and it's, you know, it's something that can't talk about. So I won't talk about the ending, although I... No. It's it's inevitable that you are left curious to know what is going to come next. And specifically, how is what comes next going to live up to previous 
Yeah. ...of a continuation of the story with characters that you might be familiar with. So I was left a bit like, hmm... Okay, well, they're going to have to do something pretty special in the next one, I think, to maintain this bar. Because I think they have set a quite high bar now, which is great. That's the other thing I think, the more I talk about it, the more I do like it. This is definitely more like a comic book film with the voiceover, with Batman just wandering around solving clues. It's a lot more straightforward in the way it's delivered. And with this gorgeous aesthetic, I think it feels more tied into the comic books than than what Nolan did, which was quite deliberately mm. taking it into a far more mainstream cinema complex, almost mm. drama. The audiences were no doubt crying out for at the time. So I'm curious to know where it's all going to go. Yeah, I have to say the last scene did remind me of the Lego Batman movie. There was a scene in that that reminded me of the last scene. Just like, oh, that's all that. <laughs> and I mean, I wasn't sure about Patterson when I found out he was going to be Batman. I wasn't sure. I'm not a huge fan. I've, I have watched the Twilight movies. However, I think he really pulled it off. I think he has got the physique for Batman. He's not this big, bulky, Ben Affleck kind of Batman. He's just right looking Batman. And he doesn't put on this voice when he becomes Batman. He just carries his voice normally to how he is when he's Bruce. So that's why I feel it's so much more natural, the whole film end to end. So that's why I liked it. Dark Knight is scoring 9.1 out of 10 on IMDb. This is scoring 8.6 today, which is still pretty high. And it's the second highest out of all the other Batmans. And before I joined this podcast, I was watching Batman Begins. And yeah, it makes me laugh when I hear Christian Bale now with his, you can do the voice, I know you can. But I think I prefer the new Batman to Christian Bale, which I'm shocked I'm saying this, to be honest. It's made 57 million worldwide gross to date. It's only been released since the 4th of of March and, and we have watched it on the opening weekend. I can't fault it, this film actually, but... Give me a number out of 10, Rob, for this film. I saw an article only a couple of days ago, one of these like, where does the Batman rank, you know, of all the Batman films? And already it's up there with Nolan's. I would give this, I would give it a nine out of 10. I can't remember what I gave The Dark Knight. I think it was nine and a half. And I'd just say it was a bit more than this, which is why whilst I currently, in my thinking, still see Nolan's trilogy, specifically the second film of his series, superior to this, it's only by a bit. I mean, this is that good. And there's part of me which wishes, oh, could this just be a standalone film? Could they not just leave it? I'm worried at how they can match this going forward. But lots of people would have said, what more can you do with Batman? How many more spins can you put on it? Well, this has been successful. So let's just be optimistic can i just say Mm. one thing though can dc films can they just make a rule do not do post-credit scenes i'm sick of it leave marvel to do that that's marvel's thing great you know but when you go and watch a superhero film of any kind and everyone sat there because they're thinking well is there going to be something i don't know we might we should probably hang around in case there is something was there because I, I walked out because the lights came on. Because there is. That was a, my indicator. 
There is something is that so I've missed so, yeah, it. Yeah, so there is something. <laughs> there is something at the very end. But right. all I will say is it's so incredibly underwhelming. And having read mm. subsequently about it, it's pretty much purely there as a marketing exercise. Don't worry, you haven't missed anything. It doesn't really add anything to the actual end of the film. I just wish they wouldn't bother. You know, make yourself yeah, different. Yeah. You need you need a reason to differentiate mm. yourself from Marvel. Although it's only a small thing, and I know some people love it, but just make the end the end and give us all yeah. a break I, yeah. af- after this film when I left I'm like you somehow managed to go three hours without needing to go to the toilet which is just I can't quite fathom <laughs> but when I was in the toilet there was a guy next to me there was two of us and the guy next to me goes were you in that film was it just me sitting there waiting for something to come at the end of the credits and being really disappointed and we were like yeah I know why do they bother <laughs> No, oh. well, that might change my my score then. Oh no, don't no. no. Well, no that can't it might change. Can, it. it can't change. It, it. No, don't don't, it don't don't let it that sway your mm. rating. The film's the film. Forget what I just said. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, as I said, very close to seven, and I'd probably give seven probably something similar to this score. I'm going to give it. I am uh, all right. I'm going to give it ten out of ten because I, I can't fault it. I can't fault it. I know there'll be different people thinking, oh, you know, it's not good in this area, but I was gripped all throughout and I thought it was excellent. So, yeah, I'll go for 10 out of 10. Two okay. 10 out of 10s for me today. That's yeah. unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, I should I should say just before we go on, what was lacking, you know, not to give it more than a nine. I, I didn't find the climax quite as satisfying as I hoped it to be. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons I wouldn't have given it higher mark. But I mean, hell. Okay. So we've That's had still very good scores. So, so yeah. today we've had three tens and a nine. Yep, which is pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it was going to be. I knew it was. I knew it was going to be a big week anyway. So yeah, all good. Very, very, very good films. And what is the next good film that we're going to watch for this week? Well, the new B is going to be West Side Story. That's um, right. It's probably quite a good time to watch it, given that it's uh, Oscar season and it's up for best picture uh, and i haven't seen i imagine it's also up for probably best director and various other you know music costume probably and it's coming out is it not on it's disney- already out it's already, it's already out, out on Disney Plus. Yeah, Disney Plus, very new out on Disney Plus. So good time to watch it. It's been at the cinemas already. So now it's on there. And also, having just reviewed one of Spielberg's early classic films, it'll be good to watch another one with his. Exactly. Take yeah. On West I do like Spielberg movies, I have to say. I've mentioned this before when we reviewed Indiana Jones. It's great when you watch a film and, you know, you think back to the days of Chaplin and all these directors who were like, you know, autistic auteurs if you like of cinema the, the modern day auteurs they are the likes of Spielberg Cameron Fincher Nolan the, these are the, the Villeneuve now Denis Villeneuve I mean sorry I'm, I'm sure there's others we can mention Ridley Scott's been there these are directors that when you go and watch their films you are aware of the craft of the film I think it just does add something else to when you watch those types of films it gives it something extra. So I just think it's really, yeah, it's really exciting to kind of revisit someone like Spielberg, who's obviously has been doing this for years, because you just can't, it, you, you're aware you're watching filmmaking of a different league, I suppose, often when you yeah. watch some of these films. Next film is from my list. So what have we got? So we've had thriller, horror, adventure, comedy, musical, and sci-fi. So, and the genre is romance. 
Romance. Okay. I have 23 romances. I'm going to go for number 10, please. Number 10 is Steel Magnolias. Oh, my God. Which is a comedy romance. And where's it? It's it's also pretty tragic, if I remember right. Is it? Yeah. I don't remember it that well, actually. I remember liking it it at the time. This is starring Shirley MacLaine, Julia Roberts, Sally Field, Dolly Parton, Daryl Hannah, Tom Skerritt. I mean, this is a head of a lineup, and it's from 1989. A young beautician, newly arrived in a small Louisiana town, finds work at the local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. I might be getting this confused with beaches in terms of a tragic ah, storyline. So right, okay. if, if there isn't a tragic storyline in this, that's why. So I apologise. Well, I've got it as comedy and romance. So I'm hoping there's no tragic storyline in the no, comedy. I think, as I say, I think, I'm getting it, I think I'm getting it mixed up with beaches. Yeah. This was around the time of like Mystic Pizza, wasn't it? Yeah, when Peter exactly. Roberts was slowly starting to come onto the scene. Yeah, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's got a great star cast. Sally Amazing. McLean. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and the good news is it's streaming on Sky, now cinema, and also Virgin Go. You can rent and buy from most online platforms. Anyway, it's been a long, long time since I've seen this. Let's just say that. Um, there is a bit of drama. You're right. There's a bit of drama. It's this comedy drama romance. I'm looking forward it's to it. It's going 7.3. Be- 10.3 not bad it's good so yeah west side story and steel magnolias so probably a bit more on the feminine side maybe i don't know certainly this one. west side story is a romance as well yes it is you're right no it's a romance yeah but not a comedy <laughs> not a comedy definitely not <laughs> i have been singing a, oh i'm giving it away now because i've watched half of it already i'll just shut, i'll just shut up shall i <laughs> No, I don't think you should. I think you should actually stop singing. <laughs> I think I'll stop. I sing. think I'll stop. Oh, come on. America. <laughs> I need to live in America. Uh, yeah, it's the, uh, other, the other, what's the other song? Um, Tonight, tonight, that one. Yes. There's it's a lot of classic songs. And this is a, uh, isn't it from Tick, Tick, Boom, the guy that, the, that Andrew Garfield's character was idolising. Didn't he write this as first musical? Oh, we might have done. Crikey, you're already delving into some trivia. And we have mm, also, I will stop, it, shall yeah. I? Oh, yeah, I'll oh, stop. We can talk, start talking about brass rubbings again if you want. <laughs> no, no thanks. No and thanks. biscuits. Biscuits. No, we haven't. We, we talked. We have know. talked about biscuits a lot. We haven't, we haven't gone. We've done a whole episode without talking about I biscuits. Know, I know. Anyway, it's Sunday tea time now. It is. So I need. I need to go. And I eat. said, why? I've got a little. I've got a little mini Sunday roast all ready to go. Oh, very out. nice. I know. Yeah. Look how organised I, I am. You are. Yeah. Wow. Well, enjoy. Enjoy your Yorkshire puddings or whatever you've got. Oh, now you've got roasties. Oh, you haven't got roast. I haven't got Yorkshire puddings. Oh, Yorkshire God. pudding gravy. Oh, you've yes. Put, you've just got to put a whole downer on my roast. Oh, I, now I want. Now I want a Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> Maybe I should go well, and enjoy. get some. Enjoy, oh. anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, look, have a lovely couple of weeks and uh, yep. we will catch up again on the other side of Beaches and West Side Story. <laughs> Beaches. On the other side of Steel Magnolias and West Side Story. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.